We learn a bit about angels and how Jesus is superior to them today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You According to the Bible, angels exist. In fact, there are over 250 references to them throughout Scripture. From the story of creation in Genesis to the description of the end times in Revelation, angels actively participate in the affairs of this world and heaven. However, they are widely misunderstood. And so here today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will point to the truth about angels as our study in Hebrews continues. Let's find out who they really are as we join Pastor Ed for today's study about God's ministering spirits and the one who is even better than angels. We're in Hebrews chapter one. Angels, as as amazing as they are, are just created beings. They're not God. They function to rush in to do Jesus' bidding because he is God. By the way, as we go through these studies, we're learning a little bit more about angels. Let me give you four more categories of angels that I think would be a good time. Just different categories to try to put them all together. First of all, in the Bible, we read of messenger angels, messenger angels, like those that came to Abraham, to Jacob, to Daniel, Elizabeth, Mary, they came with a message. Secondly, there are ministering angels. Remember the word minister just means servant. I know in the church, ministers become a title referring to the pastor, but the word in the original language never was intended that way. We are all ministers of the gospel because we're all servants. So there's ministering angels. There are angels that serve. They have a particular service purpose. Remember, there are those that came to serve Paul and Peter. They came to care for little children. There are those that serve Jesus in the wilderness, ministering angels. Thirdly, there are martial angels. Marshall, they do battle against God's enemies. We see some of them described in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation. Fourthly, there are managing angels. These are angels that rule the elements, that have a function and connection with God's creation. And even angels that might be what's considered in God's court. They take down men like they did with Herod. Remember when he blasphemed? So angels are amazing. But the bottom line is this. Angels are only angels. And God is God. Number six, number six. Why is Jesus greater than the angels? The author says Jesus possesses a spotless integrity. Spotless integrity. Notice verse nine. In this kingdom that he oversees, it's a kingdom of what? Righteousness. Not just rightness. You and I can be involved in rightness. We can do what's right. We can think what's right. Our life can be right. We can do right things. But Jesus is right. That's his very being. He is righteous in all his ways. His actions, his thoughts, everything. He is righteous, sinless. You and I, we can do right, but we also can do wrong. Therefore, we don't possess righteousness in and of ourselves. So this is a problem. This is a problem because 
The requirement to spend eternity with God who created you, the requirement is righteousness. You could say that's the ticket to heaven, a perfect righteous life. And so all of us at this point are ticketless when it comes to righteousness because we have failed. The Bible puts it this way. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone that gets by that. We've all failed. Big things, small things, huge things. We've all failed. What we call failure, the Bible calls sin. Sin, that word literally means to miss the mark. And it doesn't speak so much to the motive as much as to the issue of sinfulness. Not only that, but, but the reality of sinfulness is that if you've sinned once, that makes you imperfect forever. And on top of that, the Bible declares that because of the, our ancestor dating all the way back to the Garden of Eden, because of Adam's sin, when Adam and Eve had children and children kept having children and children kept, they can only have sinful children because they were sinful themselves. You produce yourself. And so this issue of sin has been passed down to every generation. We're not only sinful by nature, we're also sinful by action. And that puts us in a deep problem because if the entrance into relationship with God is righteousness, then what is a person to do? What's a man to do? What's a woman to do? Well, the Bible says, and Jesus himself says, that he's the only way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that the righteousness of Jesus can become ours by faith. So that our imperfectness is exchanged for his perfection. Our wrongness, if you will, is replaced by his righteousness. Our sinfulness is replaced by his sinlessness. Like, like that's the key, the ticket is not just righteousness. If you want to get down to it, the ticket to heaven is Jesus and faith in him, which requires what? It requires for you and me to humbly tell the truth about our lives. It requires us to acknowledge and admit that we're wrong and God's right, which is why many people don't do it. You're just simply unwilling to acknowledge that you're wrong and God's right. You're unwilling to acknowledge that, that you have failed or sinned and are in need of a savior. And yet every day, don't you live with the consequences of sin? Don't you live with the guilt and the shame and the fear and the anxiety? Don't you run away from God in so many different directions because of the weight of the issues in your life? You do. It doesn't take long for you to see that. And all the while, God is inviting you to come, inviting you in, saying, accept my son. He died for you, the perfect for the imperfect. He not only died, but the Bible declares that he rose again the third day. And it's the power of the resurrection that's available to you by faith. The forgiveness of sins, eternal life with God. You see, Jesus is, possesses a spotless integrity. It says in verse 9 that he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Those are the two sides to the coin. Integrity comes from loving what's right and hating what's wrong which is why I asked you to open to Romans chapter 12, because this is something that God gives to us. Jesus' integrity is beyond any question. The authority on which he governs is upheld by his flawless integrity and character. His throne is one of righteousness, as is all of heaven. Your faith in Jesus Christ places you under the authority of a righteous king. So notice with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, 
this instruction we're given as Gentiles, believers in Jesus, he says in verse 9, Romans chapter 12, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, I know we don't use that word abhor. Circle it. It simply means to hate a lot, to despise. Hate what is evil, love what is good, cling to what is good. That's the kingdom of God, that men and women that are under the rulership of Jesus Christ will find themselves hating evil more and clinging to good more. And isn't that needed in the dark culture in which we live? Isn't that needed with all the pressure to pull us away from what is good, to pull us away from what is right, to pull us away from that love relationship with our parents, with our friends, with, with, with our family? Like, you gotta, you gotta hold, that idea of clinging means to hold on super tight to good. But here's the problem. Maybe it's in your life. Evil is not hated by many in the church today. It's actually embraced. It's applauded. It's in our entertainment. It's in our world. So we invite it in through the movies we choose to watch. We invite it in through the music that's in our ears. We invite it in by, you know, the Bible says evil corrupt company corrupts good habits. So we find ourselves hanging around with the wrong people in the wrong places, doing the wrong things. And we don't hate evil. Therefore, we have no desire to cling to what is good. No, instead, pastors are looked to as pontificating and preaching, and who are you to tell me? I'm nobody to tell you. I'm just here to tell you what the Bible says. The instruction for a love that's not hypocritical is to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. It's a scepter of righteousness in the hand of Jesus, not compromise. Could it be that the weakness in the church at large today is just this simple truth? You don't hate what is evil. Instead, you invite it in and you support it. You begin to think about it. You begin to think that way. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way in the perverse mouth that I hate. Now, I know some of you have a hard time with hatred because of the anger issues in your life and what you've been saved from, but God is not giving you permission to hate people. That's not what he says. You hate the evil, but not the people. You hate the evil, but you look for good in people. You hate the evil, but you cling to what is good. It's evil in this world. Have we become so calloused and insensitive to evil in our own lives because we entertain it? Do we not fear it anymore? Therefore, we don't fear God? Has it just become acceptable? Do, do we just laugh it off? I mean, that's how the world is. The world gets you in with a good storyline, with a good, the way this, you know, the, the camera angles, and, and even jokes, you know? There'll be a joke in a movie or something, and you're just like, ah, and then you don't understand. You're laughing at evil. Oh, it's just made up. No, it's not just made up. Evil is evil wherever it is. Where are you with this subtlety of evil creeping into our lives and not clinging to what is good? You see, Jesus, his integrity is so flawless that he loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. It'll only apply to some of you, but you'll get it nonetheless. In our society, in any good society, one of the tools to keep order and, and avoid chaos is the law the law. 
laws in, in our country are not perfect, so I'm not using this as a perfect one-to-one illustration, but the principle is there. I mean, not all of our laws are righteous. Not all of our laws are right. I'll tell you right now, one law that is absolutely unrighteous is this simple fact, that in our country, it is legal to kill a baby in the womb. That is not a righteous law. That does not reflect the heart of God. And there are many others. But for the sake of our illustration, consider the law that affects us, all of us, every day that we're on the road. It's called the speed limit. It's that white and black sign, you know, the one up on the right-hand side that has a number in it. And, and, he, and here's the body of Christ. I've met many people. They don't like the speed limit, and so they take great pleasure in bragging that they don't keep the speed limit. Yeah, you know, I speed all the time. Yeah, haha, I got pulled over again. Yeah, I got another ticket. Ha, I, I don't care. You know, it's too, too slow. I have to go faster. And I just like to drive my car. And I got a big engine. And on and on and on and on it goes. All the while justifying that you don't hate lawlessness. You don't hate it. Instead, you're going to rebel against it. Instead, you're going to have a reason. If I made the laws, and then I would move it this way, and we should go faster this way, and you should go faster that way. Praise God in your speeding that a kid didn't dart out from behind a car and you run him over. Praise God. Praise God that while you were speeding, maybe looking at your phone, that you didn't rear in somebody and really hurt and harm them and yourself and your own family. Praise God that while you were making excuses, God has been gracious to you. But that simple attitude, you know, yeah, I speed all the time. You don't hate lawlessness. Yeah, but you know, I don't agree with the law. You don't hate lawlessness. Well, you know, my car's really fast. Get a Yugo or get something else. I don't know. Get a slower car. Get one that's missing a wheel. Ride a bike, whatever. You don't hate lawlessness. And some of you are kind of sensing right now, you're like, oh, that's not me. So, oh, man, I got out of that one. You know, maybe you don't like the rule at work. You don't want to come in on time. You don't think an hour lunch is enough, so you're going to take an hour and a Look, man, there's rebellion. We don't hate lawlessness. We don't hate lawlessness. And so what happens? You're speeding, pulled over, and, and what do you do? You cop an attitude with a cop, pun intended. Oh, I don't like it. And if the police officer wants to be gracious, he would let you go with a warning. If he wants to enforce the law, which is his legal right, he'll write you a ticket. And you'll probably be upset with that. All the while, God's saying, slow down, listen to me, slow down, obey the law, slow down, slow down, slow down. Don't you think that God is saying that constantly spiritually? I do. We all have areas, I can hear heaven say, slow down. Or maybe not slow down, just be quiet. (laughs) Be quiet. Submit. Trust me. I'm God and you're not. I want to bring order in your life. I want to develop you into Christ-likeness. See, the, when you don't love righteousness and you don't hate lawlessness, you're not operating in the kingdom of Jesus. You've got your own kingdom, your own little area that you're going to rule and reign over, and you're not, you know, you see, we're citizens of earth, in our community, in our country, in our city. We're citizens on earth, but we're also citizens in heaven. 
and the priority over every king, every president, every is Jesus Christ. And so his priority says in his kingdom that that scepter of righteousness is in his hand and he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. And so I lay that before you today that the Holy Spirit would use that in our lives, that we might grow more and more into that place, that we would hate what's evil and cling to what is good. Finally, as we leave here today, number seven, by way of review, if you're taking notes, uh, number one is Jesus is the maker. Angels are made. Number f- or excuse us, number four. Number five, Jesus is sovereign majesty who sits on the throne. Number six is Jesus possesses a spotless integrity. And number seven is Jesus is uniquely anointed by God. Notice at the end of verse nine. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. God has anointed Jesus Christ. You know, whenever we read of anointing in the Bible, we recognize that anointing adds a spiritual dimension to a man or a woman's service. Anointing's powerful. We even speak of anointing uh, in the book of James. It says, if any one of you is sick among us, let him call the elders. The elders will lay hands on him, anoint him with oil, and pray over him. Pray that there would be healing. So anointing always brings the spiritual into the situation. And it brings the spiritual as oil often represents, the anointing of oil often represents the Holy Spirit's anointing in a person's life. And so you read in the Bible many times of anointing. We we know that Moses anointed Aaron. We know that Samuel anointed David. We know that Elijah anointed Elisha. And just in those examples, we have a priest, a prince, and a prophet anointed by, for office by another man. But Jesus was anointed by God, not another man. And and angels were never anointed. He's superior because he has a unique anointing. No angel's ever been anointed above others as God. No angel's come to earth and secured righteousness for man. Only Jesus, God in human flesh, has accomplished salvation for you and me. Therefore, we must look to Jesus for righteousness and not angels. But on top of all that, I love the end of verse 9. I love this. It encourages my heart, and I hope it encourages you. It says that he's been anointed with the oil, what does your Bible say? The oil of gladness, not sadness. The oil of gladness, not sorrow. Even though Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he was anointed with the oil of gladness. That is one of the characteristics that is unique to a Christian gladness, joy. Everybody can be happy, but only believers in Christ can have a true joy, that settled happiness. And you go, Ed, how could you say that? The Bible says that, that the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It reminded me of our ministry many years ago in Cairo, Egypt, We were ministering to a small church of believers, very small, maybe 50, 60 believers who had moved to the slums of Cairo. And we connected with them through a brother in the springs and we eventually came alongside Pastor Hisham and served with him until uh, he went home to be with the Lord. And we would take these trips and take teams into the church and they had this, where they lived were just these huge apartments of small, small size and sometimes they would would combine them together, just, just really put together quickly concrete buildings and they were as far as the eye could see. 
I mean, they're just everywhere. There were so many, and, and this, was, this was the poorer area, what we would call today the slums of Cairo. And yet, in one of the little small units was a group of believers that no matter where they were, what they had or what they didn't have, would come together and worship Jesus Christ. I mean, they were so poor that besides all the things that we brought to them, there was a brother in the church. He's not here today, but there's a brother in the church that in his garage made us these homemade wooden cars to give away to the kids. And we, we took a whole bag of these wooden cars, gave them away to the kids, and you would have thought they were made of solid gold. They were so valued, so loved. I mean, they play with them until we left. And they loved, it was just a little wooden car that brother made in his garage here. But that wooden car was given in the love of Jesus and they valued it like you wouldn't believe. And as we would gather together, we'd worship in this little room and they'd worship and they'd hit their cymbals and everyone had an instrument. It was just glorious, it was wonderful, it was awesome. And then the noise started in the neighborhood. Because surrounding this little group of 50, 60 believers was surrounded with hundreds of thousands of Muslims. And some were very unhappy with this gathering of worship. And they would take other units that were pointing at the, our little Christian, that little church unit, and they set up mosques. By the last time we went, there were three mosques on each side, and they pointed those big speakers at the church. And it was silent, and it was quiet until the believers started worshiping. And then they flipped on those speakers and just yelled and screamed. We really don't know what they were saying in Arabic, but louder and louder. And so the believers were worshiped louder and louder and louder. It was just an amazing sight. Never forget it. All of my life, I can't wait to see them in heaven. But I was curious, because I understand the differences between the religions. I get that. And I understand the tension. But I was curious why here? The first time we went, there was only one mosque. Then two, then three. Why? And so I asked Pastor Hisham, and through a translator, he said, you, you got to understand something, Ed. What's lacking in this community is something that this poor little group of believers has in abundance. And the reason why, why they get them so mad and the reason why they want so many more speakers, and the reason why they try to tear things down and try to break through the roof and try to steal, the reason why they want to wreak havoc and hurt and harm, the reason is, is that the believers in Jesus Christ have joy, and it makes them jealous and mad. You see, Jesus is uniquely anointed by God with the oil of gladness. And anyone by faith in him, can enjoy the same. Even when you're unhappy, you can be joyful. Even when circumstances are like all jacked up, you can be joyful. You can be joyful to that. You see, joy is not just like, you know, feeling good. Joy is that settled peace that God is good, that, that he has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice. Why? Because he has made me glad. A song that I learned as a new believer burned into my heart. You see, he's been anointed with the oil of gladness more than any of the companions. And it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May joy be yours. It's uniquely given to believers by faith. Oh yeah, everybody can be happy. And everybody can seem to, to like life. 
but only Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, can experience the true joy that's available by faith in Him. If joy is missing in your life, turn to Jesus in faith, and you'll find what you're looking for. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in Hebrews as Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through this marvelous book. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Aurora. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you make a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of The Calvary Road by missionary and evangelist Roy Hessian. In it, he describes the pathway to genuine revival. And you'll read both the prerequisites and consequences of God at work in the heart of a hungry seeker. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE. And don't forget to request The Calvary Road. That's 877-30-GRACE. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of Hebrews. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.